Mysterious Circumstances is an American Crimecast production. Remember, everyone is innocent until proven guilty in a court of law. Hey everybody, it's Justin. I'm back with another episode of Mysterious Circumstances. Thank you for joining me. Um, as you know, I have been doing the last couple weeks uh, listener co-hosts. This week was supposed to be a listener co-host as well, but uh, plans kind of fell through with that, which I am totally okay. Um, I told Tanya she was fine. She had some other stuff come up, so I will be flying solo tonight, which some of you like and others like the co-hosts. I think it's a great way of giving back to uh, all you listeners, to be honest with you. Uh, The last co-host spot for a while will be... Uh, next week with Rachel though so hopefully Rachel is uh, doing her homework we'll see how that all goes and everything Uh, before we get started I would love to read some reviews here Um, I can't remember if I read this one last last week or not but uh, it's mailman3327 five stars says awesome Uh, says you're looking for a true crime podcast a great host this is it straight to the point lots of research and very easy to listen to love it Uh, Thank you, Mailman. I greatly appreciate that. Uh, The next one is not so good of a review. It's from Miss Ginger 58 who took me from one star to five stars back to one star. And uh, I will admit she has been a faithful, loyal listener from the very, very, very beginning of this podcast. And I was a little disappointed to read uh, the review. It, uh, I mean, anybody on iTunes can read it. It's basically... You know, talking about uh, the listener co-hosts, you know, about how, you know, some of the sound quality wasn't that great. You know, we've been doing it on Facebook uh, video calls, so yeah, the quality probably wasn't that great. I tried to help it out quite a bit, but sometimes it just doesn't work. Um, She goes on to say that she did not like the two listener co-hosts, which actually disagree with i think this is like i said it's a really fun thing to do for the holidays to give back to all you listeners who have been really supportive and always pass the word along about the show and i greatly appreciate that so this is my gift and there will be in the future listener co-hosts for uh, a couple of the really huge cases that i'm going to be doing this year and when i say huge i mean like two and three part episodes there will be premium content in the future and i can guarantee if there is going to be premium content it'll be a long episode and it'll be badass so uh just to let you guys know that like i said i apologize i'm sorry miss ginger that uh you know you're not really not really digging the listener co-hosts but just hang out for a couple more weeks you know it'll get back to uh it's regular stuff here for fairly quickly so sorry to hear that review and sorry i disappointed you but uh, next one is from uh, KY Southern Gal, which would be Kentucky, not KY KY. But uh, just says love, and it says Justin doesn't care about the image, but his content. I appreciate the unscripted and lesser-known stories. Um, it also says adding listeners to your show is a plus. It says thanks for taking the time to give the listeners what they want. Uh, I thank you very much, uh, Jessica from Kentucky. I appreciate that. Uh, I try to give all you guys everything, all the episodes you want. Uh, For some of you who visit the uh, Facebook page and the group, um, 
you, I put on there a list of uh, suggestions that I'm going to be doing this year. There are a couple things. Uh, there's one really huge case involving, I believe, five different people. Um, I'm going to actually be doing an interview for that one. That is going to be a huge freaking episode. It's going to be probably at least two or three parts. And that one came from Twitter. I did not add that to the list, but I do have that. Uh, that is on there. Another a uh, couple other suggestions that came in through uh, my messenger I haven't put on the list either, but I will. Next one is uh, five stars from Django uh, Scarupa. If that's your real name, I mean, that's awesome. But uh, just says the best for long studios. Says uh, they love the podcast. Uh, they do studio classes and uh, looks like they're working on studying industrial design methods. Uh, super good for lists for listening uh, easy to follow and a great voice like i've said a hundred times i don't agree with that but i'm glad you guys see it differently uh, it feels like i'm sitting back in someone's living room listening to a discussion on strange happenings and that is uh it says lately it's taken a new direction i'm i'm very excited to continue listening thank you Django. i appreciate that uh next one is five stars from uh Ezreta, or Ezreta. I'm not sure how to pronounce that. I am American, so we butcher pretty much anything that we can, whether it be meat or words, whatever. Just says great podcast. Says uh, it listen to a lot of podcasts. Says this is one of the best. Um, in contrary to that, I on a list of true crime podcasts, my mine is not on there anywhere but i am am thankful for all you uh, loyal listeners that think this is a good podcast by the way slip into the group podcast we listen to throw me some love people i see lists of shit in there all the time and i'm never on them throw me some love but anyway um <laughs> it also goes to say uh the sound of justin cracking open a beer in the background contributes to the relaxed and intimate feel of the podcast um, I appreciate that very much, and like I've said, the only reason I drink is because this is really nerve-wracking sometimes. Um, but it says, keep up the good work, and it says, love your accent, where are you from? Well, I don't know where you're from with a name like that, but I don't have an accent. I am from northeast Indiana, right outside of Fort Wayne. Uh, we don't have accents up here, every, accents up here, everybody else does. So that's how we roll. Nah, I'm just joking. Not sure where you're from, but that is where I am from. And I am glad that you like the podcast. Thank you. Uh, next one, uh, Jacobson. This one goes on to talk about Miss Ginger's review. A little bit of arguing going on. Uh, this person is a actually a new listener. And uh, there's a lot of stuff in there. And I'm, you know, I don't do... I don't do arguments, so I'm going to skip on down. It says, anyway, I think you are great. Keep up the good work. And it says, thanks, R.A.J. from Los Angeles, California. And uh, since you're in L.A., you know, if you know anybody else that might know uh, Jennifer Lawrence, you know, just drop her my phone number. You know what I mean? She can friend me on the podcast page. It's cool, too. Whatever. All right, next one is a newer one. It's from Rat Salad. Love the name. Uh, five stars. Says, awesome podcast. Uh, it says, podcast is good, lesser known topics. Uh, I like the openness of the podcast, which makes me stop and think of my own hypothesis of this issue at hand, and that's why I try to do. I try to give you all the facts and let you all decide. I do put my opinion in there, but 
says, uh, the only problem with the podcast is when Justin takes a refreshment break. It says, the reason is that I sometimes listen at work and it makes me want to have a beer. And let me tell you something, Rat Salad, the struggle is real. And speaking of which, it's like angels singing, isn't it? But anyway, we have a very interesting episode for you tonight. It is not one of true crime, murder, disappearances, or anything of that nature. This podcast is about anything mysterious. So, tonight we will be talking about the Cenophytes of Missouri. Now, there is a lot of folklore surrounding this. And basically the story goes that if you drive south of Seneth, Missouri on County Road 602. Now, this is in between roads 643 and uh, 647. Now, basically, if you take 640, from what I can see from uh, Google Earth, and yes, I do have my computer pulled up right now, because when we get to the science bit, that's too much shit to write down. If you head south on 647 from Seneth, Missouri, you're going to come to a road called 602. And what you're going to do if you're heading south, you're going to take a right on 602. Now, here is how the story goes, or all the stories. I have read so many stories about this in the last week. It is it is mind, mind-numbing, to be honest with you. But you take a right on 602. There is a little bridge. Now, the bridge is referred to Crybaby's Bridge. And there's actually a little bit of folklore in, in uh, entwined with that as well. But there's like a little a little marsh area or a river right there. Um, now basically, this used to be a pretty good wooded area on both sides of the road, on the north and south side of the road. Uh, it is not like that anymore. There's not really too many trees. I mean, there's a line of trees as you're heading west uh, before you hit 643. But where the actual bridge is, where you start to see this stuff, there's, you know, there's a little line of trees. It's not too much. And uh, before we get to the Seneth Lights uh, folklore, or some of the stories that I have read, uh, Crybaby Bridge's folklore is actually pretty interesting. It It's basically called that because a woman at one point in time was home alone while her husband uh, went into town for some unknown reason you know like all urban legend uh stories go and basically her toddler got away her toddler apparently had walked to uh to this little this little creek or this little river and it drowned and apparently the mother couldn't swim either so the mother jumps in after the baby she ends up drowning now this is all all this area is pretty much cotton fields now. I see like one farmhouse on this road, and apparently there used to be a farmhouse where one of these uh, cotton fields is, and this is where, depending on how you look at it, either the Seneth Lights lore comes from and the Crybaby lore comes from. You can actually go on this bridge from what from what we have or from what I have read, you can go on this bridge. So the story goes today today that if you stand on the pri- on the bridge and repeat the Lord's Prayer backward, you will see the mother carrying the dead child in her arms coming towards you on the bridge. I don't know how much truth that has to it, okay? I really want to drive there right now and find out, but I'm not going to because it's like 8.30 at night and I got shit to do in the morning. Various people have reported 
just the feeling of uneasiness on the bridge anytime they cross it, whether it's day or night, just anytime. Supposedly someone at some point in time has seen a woman. You know, it is what it is. But that's not the part of the story. Basically, if you get on this bridge and there used to be a tree there and it was this huge tree referred to as the hangman's tree now the hangman's tree is actually no longer there um it was taken down because a farmer who bought both sides uh both both fields on each side of the road uh bought that land and basically turned it all into to fields um cotton fields i believe and actually took down that tree as well there are some people who say that he pretty much did it on purpose because he was tired of kids going out there and screwing up his land and probably getting laid as well so he went ahead and cut down that tree but here's a plethora of stories okay they all pretty much say the same thing whether it's one person or they go out there in groups you have to drive down 602 and apparently you have to cross crybaby bridge they say that you have to actually stop your car and turn it around 180 degrees like you're making a u-turn in order for you to see these lights and i've heard various reports and these were you know lot lots some say you had to be under the hangman's tree in order to see the lights others say it really doesn't matter but pretty much what they all say happen is that you will see a light and basically this light is coming down the road towards you and the light is zigzagging from each side of the road left to right just back and forth now some people say that the light will actually come onto the hood of your car I have only read one or two stories about that uh, there have been reports of as the light gets closer, your car not being able to stop to start. I've actually read that a lot, a lot of times. Um, other reports, uh, one guy had a story about how he let the light get all the way to the hood of his car. Um, his car would not start, and his passenger side window was actually ripped down. Uh, the next day, he found no problems he went to the mechanic shop found no problems with any of the motors in the uh in the passenger side window and he attributes that to the ghost light now i tried looking back as far as i could on the very first reported incident of this ghost light and it's basically just a bunch of stories there's no dates like it's like one day this this popped up i'm sure there is probably some documentation down there uh if you were local uh which i am not so the origins of this light and local folklore i've heard a few different things uh, one of which being the ghost of a train conductor who was decapitated by uh some kind of post like as a train would go by they would have a post and you could put your the the mailbag on that post as the train was still moving now the story goes that the train conductor uh was sticking his head out the window and for some odd for i don't know why he was it didn't really say uh and that is he was actually decapitated now this story goes that this ghost light is actually a lantern of this conductor looking for his lost head i don't know about that i tried looking up 
any conductors that might have died somewhere in the 1800s because apparently this used to be a set of railroad tracks and it was ripped up and is now still actually a dirt road very very dark no lights nothing straight up dirt road so i tried looking back into that couldn't really find anything the main story that i have heard the most of and this kind of relates to the crybaby bridge story which gives me a little bit of eh not really 100 percent sure now the actual story of the ghost light like i said you have the conductor the train conductor story uh, the other one is that a woman had lost a family member and that was her lantern out searching for that family member. Apparently she lived in an old farmhouse uh, where one of the cotton fields currently resides. They actually tore down the house or whatnot. Now that's a story, like I said, pretty similar to the Crybaby Bridge story. Could be the same woman, I don't know. I mean, this is pretty much a local lore. I really couldn't find any solid facts. There's lots of pictures. I'm actually going to post a lot of pictures on the uh, Facebook page so you guys can, can see some of, the, some of the stuff and see the landscape and the area and everything like that. But for the most part, this is pretty much the stories that I have read just over and over. There's different stories of, like I said, the light coming towards you. Uh, and if unless you leave, it will literally come right to the hood of your car. Supposedly, you're supposed to blink your lights three times. You know, I'm, I'm not 100% sure of that. I only read that in like one or two spots of the 10,000 stories that I did read about this. What it comes down to is there is a glowing anomaly that to this day will zigzag back and forth across this road i'll be honest with you i i believe in mass hysteria okay it's a real thing i know people like to eat hallucinogenic drugs i mean hey you know it's all for a good time but here's the thing this story i have read all the way back to like the 1940s and the 1930s about this people's stories from back then if people for the last 80 years are pretty much describing the same exact thing, it does raise some questions. What is it? And then the light actually seems to be intelligent. As you move closer, there are actually reports of it either moving further away from you or moving closer towards you. If you cross one side of the road, the light will follow you to that side of the road. Pretty interesting, I think, personally. But with all the stories and all the all that folklore and all that good stuff behind us now prepare your brains okay for some serious serious facts on science right here now these ghost lights depending on where you're from blah 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 they have a lot of different different names uh the main one being uh will o the wisp it's also called ignis fatuus which uh is medieval latin for foolish fire uh it's basically an atmospheric ghost light uh it's been called jack-o-lantern friar's lantern a hobby lantern there is uh, a fairy's lantern there's literally all kinds of name for it in america here we pretty much call them spook lights or ghost lights and they're usually enjoyed immensely by paranormal and, and enthusiasts which i actually am one so I can't really say anything bad about those folks. 
there's a couple different stories about this in uh in culture uh just basic folklore like i was saying now let's some of the ones from say england or whatnot are basically a story of a guy he was a blacksmith named will and he was given a second chance he was apparently a pretty big pretty big asshole because when he got to saint peter in the pearly gates of heaven he uh, apparently got granted a second chance he ends up leading such a bad life that he ends up being doomed to wander earth so the devil gives him a single burning coal and he's supposed to use this to keep himself warm uh he and he actually instead of keeping himself himself warm he uses this single burning piece of coal to lure foolish travelers into the marshes because like i forgot to mention uh these ghost lights usually generally appear around marshes now there have been other anomalies such as say quote unquote orbs and stuff like that that actually appear anywhere but these big lights that seem to be intelligent actually are right usually around a marshy area the irish version version of this story is uh uh I basically uh a guy named drunk jack makes a deal with the devil and he offers up his soul in exchange for payment of his bar tab uh it must have been one hell of a bar tab right there but now when the devil comes to collect his due uh jack tricks him by making him climb a tree and then carving a cross underneath it now what that does is that they're not going to let the devil be able to get down so in exchange for removing the cross from the tree uh the devil forgives his debt so when he actually uh when he actually dies jack uh is basically forced to go to hell and he asks the devil for a place there the devil denies him the entrance in revenge but uh he actually offers up drunk jack an ember from the fires of hell to light his way through uh the world uh, and basically be a lost soul and condemned to walk the earth forever uh, and Jack supposedly puts this uh, ember into a carved turnip to serve as a lantern uh, there's like I said a lot of tales there's a lot uh, in Asia it is basically uh, for fishermen it's all related around fishermen it's not so much around marshy areas I mean, it still kind of is. It basically lures the fishermen. You know, if you're fools, foolish enough to follow the light, you know, you're going to die. Your soul gets claimed. And then you become one of the people holding the light, trying to draw fishermen in. You know, Australia's got its stories. They all really have. Mexico has a couple. And in North America, actually, in uh, Massachusetts, there's an area known as the Bridgewater Triangle. And this is supposedly where you will see lots of ghosts ghost uh, lights as well and it is actually a fairly swampy area i have never been there but if you haven't read anything on the bridgewater triangle i highly suggest it it's actually very very intriguing but i mean there's literally stories from south america to mexico to britain just all over europe here's where we're gonna get into a little bit of the science of this okay um and i am not stating any of this with a biased opinion i am just telling you some facts now, the earliest try to uh, scientifically explain 
what is referred to as a ghost light and or what is commonly referred to as swamp gas as a scientific term. There's a lot of scientific terms, but we're just going to call it swamp gas. Um, basically, an Italian uh, physicist named Alessandro uh, Volta in 1776, when he discovered methane, he, uh, he proposed that natural electrical phenomena, like, say, uh, lightning, interacting with this marsh gas may be the cause of Ingus fatuus, which, as we know, is will-o'-the-wisp, or this phenomenon of the light. Now, this was actually also supported by a, uh, a guy from Britain. I'm not exactly sure what his exact title was, but his name was Joseph Priestley. And he did a series of uh, books called Experiments and Observation on Different Kinds of Air. Now, this was from 1772 to 1790. And uh, a French physicist named Pierre Bertholone de Saint-Lazare. <laughs> I can't even believe I, I almost said that right. Um, he actually did the same studies in right around 1787. So all three of these physicists... Assuming the third guy is one, basically are proposing a theory that the natural, you know, phenomena is caused by light, lightning interacting with this marsh gas, which would be methane. See, because methane it'll produce on the bottom of a mucky marsh floor or like a pond or something like that. Probably not so much a pond, but more of a marsh, and it's actually lighter than air, so it'll naturally go to the top, it'll bubble up to the top, and that's why marshes usually smell like shit, uh, because of that would be methane. Now, back in, you know, 1780s, late 1800s, there were a lot of critics of those three gentlemen that I had uh, mentioned before. Now, John G. Owens, uh, he was an anthropologist. He actually dismissed all those theories on all kinds of different different little, you know, tidbits, but the thing about it is that in order for all these chemicals to ignite, meaning methane this is we're in the 1890s trying to explain this methane is not a self-ignited gas you have to have some kind of ignition now that's why all the earlier guys were talking about lightning interacting with it because it would need that spark um it's base he's basically saying there's not really the unlikeliness of it of just random spontaneous combustion or a bolt of lightning at any given time um, and the absence of warmth in uh, some of the observed uh, ghost lights or some of the areas and it says the odd beha behavior of the actual ball of light like when you actually walk to it about how it's basically interactive. You walk to it and it'll walk away, it'll float away from you. It'll bounce, you know, back and forth, like I said, across certain areas. You know, there's another there's another thing out there too called ball lightning, which it's classified as a kind of will the wisp type, you know, natural phenomenon coming with gases and all kinds of other stuff. Now, this is this is right here in about the late 1890s. Now, you got to remember, guys, technology, you know, all this other stuff. It's 
it's hard to put into words because these people tried their best with what they had you know sometimes it's just not very detailed now the guy I was telling you about John G Owens he goes on to say and this is a quote uh, this is a name that is sometimes applied to phenomena perhaps more frequently called jack-o-lantern or will-o'-the-wisp it seems to be a ball of fire varying in size from that of a candle flame to that of a man's head it is generally observed in damp marshy places moving to and fro but it has been known to stand perfectly still and send off scintillations. As you approach it, it will move on, keeping just beyond your reach. If you retire, it will follow you. Uh, that, these follow, that these fireballs do occur, and they will repeat your motion, seems to be established, but no satisfactory explanation has yet been offered that I have heard. Uh, those who are less superstitious say that it is the ignition of the gases rising from the marsh, but how a light produced from burning gas could have the form described and move as described, advancing as you advance and receding as you recede, and at other times remaining stationary without having any visible connection with the earth is not clear to me. So basically this anthropologist has... He went through and observed all this stuff. Then he went back and he read a bunch of documentation on it. And he actually has a very good point because there's no there's no spontaneous combustion. The likeliness of that is near impossible. So that's a little bit of us getting into the 1900s. But there's also some skeptics out there. And one of them is Charles Tomlinson. And this was from a couple years later. This is actually from 1893. And he goes on to say, on visiting the spot at night, the sensitive flames retired as the major advanced, but on standing quite still, they returned. And he tried to light a piece of paper at them, but the current of air produced by his breath kept them all too great a distance. On turning away his head and screening his breath, he succeeded in setting fire to the paper. He was also able to extinguish the flame by driving it or driving it before him to a part of the ground where no gas was produced. Then applying a flame to the place where the gas issued, a kind of explosion was heard over eight or nine square feet of the marsh. A red light was seen, which faded to a blue flame about three feet high, and this continued to burn uh, with an unsteady steady motion. As the morning dawned, the flames became pale, and they seemed to approach nearer and nearer to the earth until the last they faded from sight. So basically, he's saying that, yeah, they went out there and ignited this, which, as we've already talked about, yeah, they ignited it. You know, that makes perfect sense because you actually have that ignition. You know, they didn't, they didn't do any ignitions before, which I agree with the combustion theory on that. you got to have some kind of spark. Now, when we're getting into modern times here, put on your little thinking hats for this because this is a lot of information to take in, and I'm going to mess up a lot of scientific words right now. So basically, in modern science, okay, it is pretty much accepted that what they call swamp gas which is what they believe this ghost light is. It is created by the oxidation of phosphine, diphosphine, and methane. These three compounds 
which are produced by organic decay, which you would find around marshy areas, can and they're saying these can cause photon emissions. Now, since phosphine and diphosphane uh, mixtures spontaneously ignite on contact with oxygen, it says only small quantities of it would be would uh, be needed to ignite uh, the much more abundant methane to create uh, ephemeral uh, fires, which would resemble that of a flame or a light. So basically it's saying that these three elements, the phosphine, diphosphane, and methane, you combine those compounds and it creates the photon emissions. When phosphine and diphosphane mixtures, when they spontaneously get together, when they are together, they will spontaneously combust with oxygen in the air. And obviously there's oxygen. Now the thing about it is, is the actual uh, organic decay that is found in these marshy areas actually has less oxygen than, say, any random area because it is organic decay. Now there was a huge experiment done in uh, 1980 by a British geologist named Alan Mills. Now he actually thought he he uh, had, had succeeded because he created a cool glowing cloud by mixing uh, crude phosphine and natural gas. Um, the color of the light was green and it actually produced copium, copious amounts of smoke. Now all this smoke is never ever seen around the ghost lights. So definitely keep that in your memory banks for the most part this pretty much contradicts all accounts of this light that is seen there is absolutely no smoke now in 2000 mills um, actually proposed that this light might actually be cold flames now the cold flames come from luminescent pre-combustion halos that occur when various compounds are heated just below ignition point. Now cold flames are actually bluish in color and they generate almost no heat or very little heat at that. Now cold flames can occur uh, with methane involved uh, even waxes, oils, acids, alcohols you know put some moonshine on a table and light it up that's what you're gonna see. The thing about it is, is that it is actually unknown if cold flames can occur naturally or not. Now, a lot of the compounds do exist to create the cold flames, and they are actually all byproducts of this or organic decay that you do find around the marshy areas. But, we have yet to see it naturally do this on its own. It has only been created in a laboratory. A couple other really big scientists in 1993, a couple professors actually went and tried to create their own little ghost light. What these guys are saying is that this light might actually be geologic in origin. Not so much biological, but more geological. And get ready for a lot more information here. He's based, they're basically saying these strains of basically they're tectonic strains okay and if you've never delved into the tectonic plates and all that good stuff it's basically the earth earth shifting and moving and it's saying that 
some of these smaller uh, tectonic strains would uh, heat up rocks, uh, vaporizing the water in them, and the rock or the soil containing uh, piezoelectric, uh, like say quartz or silicone or arsenic, may also produce electricity channeled up, channeled up to the surface uh, through the soil, and basically it would travel up through vaporized water and it would somehow appear as earth lights. Now this actually would explain why the lights appear electrical, erratic, and would even be intelligent in behavior. Um, this is personally what I read. I do not actually hold any bearing on that because for one, I want to see it and this is pretty much just a theory. And in 2008, again, chemiluminescence uh, it's basically a hypothesis that involves the natural chemiluminescence of phosphine. An Italian chemist, uh, Luigi Garlaschelli, and Paolo, uh, another guy named Paolo, we're just going to call him Luigi and Paolo, um, they basically attempted to recreate Mills' experiment uh, from, the 19, from 1980. Now, they successfully created a faint cool light by mis mixing uh, phosphine with air and nitrogen. Um, the glow was a little bit greenish in color, but under low light conditions, it said the human eye cannot easily distinguish between colors, which is actually extremely true. Um, but it also says that by adjusting the concentrations of the gases and the environmental conditions, which would be temperature and humidity, etc., that it was possible to eliminate the smoke and smell, which actually... You know, we had talked about earlier, none of the witnesses actually seeing smoke. And uh, if it did, it said the smell, it would actually uh, make it in undetectable levels. Now, the two Italians, they actually agreed with Mills that cold flames may also be plausible explanation for other instances of this swamp gas or light, however you want to call it. But there's also a lot of other theories out there. Um, it's, one theory is that it might might occur due to bioluminescence of uh, different microorganisms and insects in the forest. Um, that it's saying that the glow from certain fungal species, such as a uh, honey fungus, uh, during chemical reactions, it would actually form white rot, which is often mistaken for the, that mysterious light, you know, whatever you want to refer to it as. Now, there are actually a shitload of bioluminescent organisms that could create the illusion of fairy lights, such as, like, fireflies or something of that nature, which some people honestly believe that these are just fireflies, this light that you see. It's also saying that sometimes the moonlight could be reflecting off uh, some kind of animals in the forest. I don't personally believe that. It also goes on to say, you know, barn owls... You know, they could somehow be reflecting light and make you see, you know, a dancing lantern or a dancing ghost light. It's really, really hard to tell. I mean, that's some of the science that goes into it. I hate to roll, like, the facts and theories all into one little mess, but that's pretty much what just happened. Now, there's only so many theories we can go on, one of which... Depends on if you believe some of these stories. Now, I'm not going to lie. 
I honestly want to go down there and see this for myself um, because I am that person. I want to see it. I want to be around it. I grew up in a haunted house. I got plenty of stories, all kinds of weird stuff like that. But I've also seen stuff, and I want to see this. Like I stated earlier, you know, if it was, you know, five you know 16 17 year old kids out there and those were the only five in history that ever reported seeing anything yeah you know i might be a little bit weary of it but literally as far back as i went this is 80 years of people telling the exact same thing uh which is actually very peculiar um i don't know about the whole moving it closer you know it moving closer to your car your car not starting you know and all this intertwined with crybaby bridge you know where a woman supposedly lost her toddler and then drowned herself trying to save her toddler and if you say the lord's prayer backwards she appears i don't believe that for a second but one of these days if i'm ever down there i'm gonna find out for myself but we got to look at the science of it like we had stated those three elements combined uh well those three elements that are actually created by organic decay can produce the photon emissions and when that hits oxygen that does create that ball of light but you also got to think yeah you know static electricity in the air could ignite some kind of combustion to burn that light you know we got to look at the counterpart of that too well you know as you move forward the light responds and it interacts with you as you move backward it follows you if you stand still it'll gradually get closer to you you got to think though too is as you're moving if you're in a statically charged area whether it be forest you know maybe this is just a very unique place with maybe power lines around or something as you move you are moving the air around you so depending on how close or far away you are yeah you probably could push the light or pull it if that theory is right about say static electricity or it being a little lightning ball or whatnot now every picture i've seen every youtube video i've seen everything that i've ever read about this says the light is white all these chemicals burn blue which is very very intriguing but you also got to think about this too is while you're standing still you can see the light bouncing from the left uh, you know each side of the road like zigzagging if you're standing still you're not moving any air around you therefore that light technically given the theories that we just went through that would not make this light move technically but static electricity does not always work like that in 2006 i believe they actually had a uh, ghost hunting team actually go out there they did not capture anything they did not find anything basically all they came away with was that both the both the uh, paranormal investigators both said that they felt uh, a tingling on the back of their neck up towards the top of their head now they also did say that their full battery drained to 15 minutes left left meaning like 85 percent of the battery was gone in less than about five minutes now with paranormal investigators this is a sure sign that an entity is trying to draw energy out of anything it can 
to either manifest or do something or move or do something of that nature. And I'm not saying this like a skeptic. This is this is I don't want to say fact, but this is what the you know the protocol is, I suppose. Now, that is actually a pretty interesting little fact, but on the side note, those two guys went out there and didn't find anything, didn't capture anything, no EVPs, no nothing of that nature. They literally walked away with nothing except a story about how the backs of their neck and the top of their hair get tingly and that could also be chart you know caused by static electricity so we come to what we think about all this i guess in all honesty at the end of the day if you want to believe then go out there and see for yourself see what happens um i'm not too in tune with the whole folk folklore of local areas i mean for god's sakes over here in northeast indiana we got a we got a crybaby bridge too you know i mean i'm pretty sure there's one in about every state around the intelligence of the light and the way it interacts with you that i find really really intriguing because that is not a trait of quote unquote swamp gas or will of the wisp whatever you want to refer to it as that is not a common trait and it should be noted that these exact lights like i had said before are not self-combusting if there was a quick charge of static electricity, yeah, they could combust. But you got to think, what are the odds that on a night you go out there, there's going to be a charge of static electricity? And, you know, I mean, I'd say probably 1 in 50. Every single local from that area has been there and has seen this. I think there's a small minority of people that haven't. Now, the town of Zenith is like, I think last populace was about 1,800 people. You know, that's... That's not bad odds right there, to be honest with you. Um, but, I don't know, to wrap this case up, I suppose I really don't have an opinion. I really want to go down there and check this out for myself, I will say that. Um, but science-wise speaking, they have never been able to naturally replicate what what happens. They have never naturally been able to duplicate the effect of this of this mixture of gases and all this other stuff it has always been ignited it has always been forced upon any experiment that has ever once never actually naturally occurred in science and science still has yet to actually prove and 100 percent duplicate this phenomenon now that should be known so what you want to believe is what you're going to believe and uh, with that being said I suppose I'll wrap it up by saying I hope you enjoyed this episode uh, that was a lot of science and information in there and I'm really glad that most of it is out of my head now I will never have to think about swamp gas ever again really happy about that um, ways to get a hold of me mysterioucircumstances99 at gmail.com you can always email me uh, stop by the Facebook page stop by the stop by the group i'm I'm actually post a lot more stuff in the group than i do on the page it's just a lot easier for me you can always stop by twitter at m underscore c underscore podcast you follow me on there anybody is welcome to follow me on instagram or uh, snapchat for that matter just type in my name you will find me uh and tanya i hope you enjoyed this episode 
and I am sorry that you couldn't join me today, but I totally understand, and that is fine. Uh, I wish I could have heard some of your personal experiences with that. That would have been awesome, because Tanya is actually from this area. She had a couple of uh, of stories for us, so. But, uh, I suppose I'm going to finish this beer and probably hang out and watch some TV, so... Until next week when I will be joined with Rachel and we will be talking about the Lori Ann Ruff case, which actually recently was solved, but it is still an amazing case and has been like drooled over by true crime people trying to figure out her identity for years. So it is going to be a really awesome case. Uh, Until then, I will see you folks on the flip side.